This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel. How's it going, man? I'm actually ill. I uh, took today off of work so that I could just kind of relax at home. So if I sound... I mean, I sound weird to me. So I apologize that such a special episode is going to be a little marred by my voice... Uh, sounding off but maybe i sound more baritone maybe that's a good thing i don't know what have i told you about nurgle oh i mean he offers such tasty snacks i know that sounds counterintuitive but trust me they're delicious where do you think red velvet comes from red velvet's disgusting doesn't taste like anything doesn't taste like chocolate this is why nurgle has no way of uh, enticing you i guess i got got a a whole rant on red velvet that's not what we're here for we'll get to that so let's get back on track if you can't tell we've been off for a bit uh so, Patreon and our patrons, the people that make it so we can take time off and come back and keep doing this. And those are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Stephen, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to help us continue to produce this podcast week to week, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode make sure we can keep doing this and we have all sorts of great tiered rewards to entice you and reward you for your ongoing support and we're here today to do the thing that basically everyone in this sphere does uh, in the late december to early january frame which yeah we're gonna be really behind everybody else and well we try in all fairness i think putting out your video before december ends actually annoys me because i'm like there are that is a bit weird yeah so i I like one of my favorite people on youtube or online general is todd in the shadows he usually doesn't get his out till middle late january and i don't begrudge him because sometimes you gotta catch up on some of the stuff that you didn't have time for especially when you had busy schedule so you know that's my two cents on that matter oh no i 100 percent agree and also to anyone complaining it's late we're not professional movie critics we don't get paid to see movies we see them when we can and this December was, oof, at least for my end. Yeah, so first of all, before we get into anything else, we didn't see every movie. In fact, I saw more movies this year than any time recently. I saw 24 movies that came out this year, because I keep track of every movie I see that comes out in a year. I'm a, I'm a list person. And while this is the most movies I've seen in a year that came out in that same year, this is also the year that I feel the most not qualified to give my list because the sheer number of interesting movies I didn't get to see. So as a quick rundown, here are movies that I, Axel, didn't get to see that almost certainly would, well, at least some of them almost certainly would be on my list. They include The Lighthouse, The Wandering Earth, Parasite, Ford v. Ferrari, Dr. Sleep, Little Women, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Booksmart, Rocket Man, Knives Out, Uncut Gems, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, 
Dolomite is my name, and Aladdin. I want to watch all these. I didn't get around to them. Interesting. Yeah, and at least three of them I am 100% sure would make my top ten just based on what I know of them. But yeah, there's can't. a lot of crossover in there that I didn't get to see. Some of those I did see, some I will talk about, some I won't. But Anyway, secondly, I'm going to put forward that there are three movies that I did see that would all go in my top ten, if not for extenuating circumstances. I want to put them out right now before we get into anything else. They are El Camino, Steven Universe the Movie, and Avengers Endgame. All three of these movies would be in my top ten, rather high, except that I don't honestly feel like they are movies. All three of them are culminations of a long period of other kind of investment, and I can't, in good conscience, put them in the same kind of category as everything else I saw this year. They kind of belong to a category themselves, and so... Especially, I know it might be like surprising with Endgame, because Endgame's the big thing to talk about this year, but this is why... like Endgame was the best experience I had at the theater this year. Period. Mm, yeah. I'm not putting it on this list. Interesting. So, those three movies, I'm not going to talk about them. Well, I'm not going to bring them up anyway, because I don't believe they belong on this list. Okay. Well, a little bit of housekeeping. Firstly, Axel does not do worst of the year lists. I don't know why. Do you have a reason particularly? Because I didn't see enough movies to make one. I I saw I saw one movie this year I actively dislike. And one movie does not a worst list make. Now I could mention like if I took the 24 movies that I did see and just took the bottom 10, I mean that would include things like Toy Story 4 and How to Train Your Dragon 3. Both movies that I really liked and don't belong in a worst list. So what am I supposed to do with that? Fair enough. The only movie, just before you get into yours, the only movie I saw this year I didn't like was The Lion King. Now, people have talked about The Lion King plenty since it came out, but my big thing is, uh, obviously, animals aren't emoting, but more importantly, Scars Be Prepared is my favorite Disney villain song. It's probably my top three favorite Disney songs, period. And the fact that they completely and utterly butchered it by cutting out half of it, by completely destroying the context of it, by taking out what little aspect of singing there already was, pushed it from a movie I just didn't care for to a movie I actively disliked. There you go. There's my worst list. <laughs> One movie. Okay. So, yeah, my worst list. I actually have 12 movies that I saw this year that I actively did not like, did not enjoy. Not going to really go into them in great detail, and I'll circle back to that. Uh, the two honorable mentions were the Child's Play remake, which we did a Geeks Who Haunt on that if you want my full angry ranting. That's one, the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I'm so, just yeah, sad about that because Mark Hamill's awesome, but... Mark Hamill's great. The movie is stupid. Oh, so so this is like a Jackie O'Haley as Freddy thing, where like... The creature is good, but everything around him is bad. That's what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I would, I said we had a Geeks Who Haunt. You can hear me rant and rave and get mad about that one. Okay. Anyway, let's move through these quickly. Uh, the other honorable mention real quick was Aladdin. For all the reasons Axel really said about Lion, Lion King, it is cold, it is soulless, it is crap, and it made me angry. Not as angry as the rest. So let's go down this list real quick. Uh, number 10, The King. Yeah, just, we got an upcoming episode, I'll go into that one. Yeah. Uh, La La Rona, again, geeks who haunt on that one. The Dark Phoenix, 
wow, what a way to end that uh, franchise. Hellboy, it looked bad. It was bad. Very unpleasant. Ma, great, interesting concept that just, I don't know what the hell they did to this movie. Uh, Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Goodbye, character development and interesting setting. MIB International. They found a way to make Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth boring and unpleasant. Number three, Mortal Engines. I was really excited for this movie. And the first half is like, oh, this is really good. And then it never ends. Number two, Velvet Buzzsaw. What the fuck was this movie? And number one, Pet Cemetery. There is a Geeks Who Haunt on that one as well. You can hear me rant and rave at great detail. I do like that nothing that you added was in my list. I saw none of those movies. Well, actually, I saw Record Ralph 2, but didn't that come out? Well, my rules on this are different than yours. But yeah, that was the yes, last We'll get movie. to my rules here in a second. But I will say that I didn't like that movie either, so... Yeah, no. A lot of those, like La Llorona and Pet Cemetery, because Slagathor made me watch terrible, terrible movies for this season of Geeks Who Haunt. Pet Cemetery, I didn't see it, but uh, John Lithgow was enough for me to be like, I hope it's good, and I never got around to watch it. It's a very mean-spirited, angry, dumb movie. All right. Okay, so real quick, as Axel mentioned, I have different roles from most people, and I get this from my father, and I say this every year, so if you've heard this before, bear with us. If you're new, be kind. I make my list off, not when the movie came out, but if the first time, if I saw it the first time that year. This allows me to see more indie movies. It allows me to have more movies I might have missed, make it in. And I have certain, you know, stipulations, like no big blockbusters from five years ago, stuff like that. But as a parent with less and less time, I get to see fewer and fewer movies. And I want to talk about those movies. And I believe the point of a best favorite movie is to go, hey, here's 10 movies I saw this year I really liked, I think you should like, or you should watch. And I generally don't agree with that. I get what he's going for, and I don't begrudge him, which is why we let each one of us do it our own way. I stick to movies that came out this year, just because it seems like the, the way to do it to me. But that's to each their own. All right, honorable mentions. I'm not really going to talk about why they're honorable mentions. I'm just going to throw them out here because we've got a lot to get through. Uh, Fighting with My Family, Dolomite is My Name, How to Train Your Dragon 3, A Simple Favor, Spider-Man Far From Home, Aquaman, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Shot the Bigfoot, Defective Pikachu, Happy Death Day to You, Brightburn, and Overlord. I mean, I could go through the movies I saw that I, I guess, movies I saw that I didn't hate. So I guess I can mention them here would be uh, Frozen 2, How to Train Your Dragon 3, Good Boys, Toy Story 4, Lego Movie 2, the second part, It Chapter 2, Captain Marvel, Charlie's Angels, Loves It, Mistress of Evil, and Brightburn. Although I will say with Brightburn, I feel like I'm not qualified to judge that in any, any way. So anyway, we've done all the preamble. Can we get to the thing we got to do now? We can dive in. I'll let you go first with your number 10. All right, then I'm going to say... Up front, my number 10. Again, I feel like really my 7 through 10 would easily get pushed out by movies I'm pretty sure that you know that I haven't seen. Or it would I'm pretty sure they get pushed out by movies I haven't seen. So my number 10 is a movie that is only here really out of obligation, for lack of a better term. And that's The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. So <clears throat> I only just watched this movie. I literally just finished it before we... Uh, before we started recording, I finally got around to it. I mean, it's a three and a half hour movie. So first of all, God damn, it's so long. Uh, 
<clears throat> All right, positives, positives first. Every actor in this movie is doing an amazing job. I particularly love Al Pacino, but I love seeing Al Pacino in basically anything. Even when the movie's terrible, he's great. Was it The Devil's Advocate, the perfect example of that? Probably. So this movie's got a lot of buzz because it's the big Scorsese crime flick. And I mean, I hate saying it, but if you've seen a Scorsese crime movie, you know the beats. This is basically a Goodfellas-like thing, except that the twist this time is that it's all very... It's not about how fun being a gangster was, which is what Goodfellas is about. It's about how soul-draining and empty and hollow the life was. This is a sad, depressing movie, and the the ending, the last 15 minutes, is one of the most terrifying, existentially terrifying things I've ever seen. Just about an old, aging hitman who's lost everything and uh, is just alone and in the hospital. The I love the fact that this movie is less about crime and more about a man who has no control over his life at all, and he doesn't want any control over his life until one of his best friends is in danger. Then he wants control, but it's too late to get it. So by the time the movie is done, the only thing he has control of is what he's going to be buried in and where. So to me, that's a lot of what's going on with this movie, is the the nature of... Uh, control in your own life and how certain people try to take it and other people give it up so these are the positives the reason why it's so far down on the list like i said it's too long uh and honestly felt like work i i i wasn't i wasn't very engrossed in it i i could understand why it's good i can understand why people like it but i felt like i was having to sit through something for a job as opposed to for entertainment and maybe i'd feel differently if i came around to it naturally instead of feeling like i had to watch it before this list just in case it made it on i don't know these are my feelings no totally not i haven't watched it yet because good god finding three hours that my daughter is not screaming at me to sit down and watch something ah i'll get there Last thing I'll say is that there's a reason why some people think Robert De Niro is the greatest actor who basically has ever been. He showcases it very well. So whether you feel like me and maybe you'll feel like it's a chore, it's a chore worth doing at least once. This, there's it's a reason a why this movie is getting film. They're all chores worth doing. Yeah, there you go. That's my 10. All right, my number 10 is Rocket Man. You know, I really wanted to watch Rocket Man. I just again, didn't get around to it, but I particularly think it's interesting that Taron Edgerton seems to be like Elton John's protege. Started off with in Sing, his big number as an Elton John song. Then Elton John was in Kingsman 2. They've like played together on stage as part of promotions for Rockman, but still, like, I think I think El- Taron Edgerton is just the new Elton John, according to Elton John. <laughs> Well, fun story about that. Elton John heard him in Sing and decided that he could act, he would be allowed to sing Elton's song in Rocketman and not be dubbed over. That's awesome. Yeah. No, Rocketman is really good. And the, probably the best way I can pitch this is when I first picked it up and brought it home to watch, uh, Slidethrower said, what'd you get? And I said, Rocketman. She's like, I don't want to watch Rocketman. I don't like Elton John. It's like, just just watch it. Let's go with it. And after the first few musical numbers, she's totally engrossed and she's totally into it and she's loving every second of it. So that, to me right there, is your gold standard. Why I really enjoyed this movie is it feels honest in a way that something like I don't want to throw shade, but Bohemian Rhapsody didn't. If you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody, you kind of know well, what I mean. Let me tell you, I saw the first 20 minutes of Rocket Man at a friend's house when I was visiting. 
and uh, that's all I know. But there's an opening scene where Elton John, Terry and Elton John goes to um, a meeting and he just sits down in his full Elton John stage costume, which is amazing. And he's like, I'm Elton John. I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to cocaine and shopping and sex. We have a problem with marijuana. And he just keeps on going. And I loved it. And I wanted to watch more, but I had to go. That is such a great scene. And it is. It's him actually checking into rehab. And it's very clearly telegraphed what they're doing. But I loved it nonetheless because he's there in full Elton John grandeur and as he proceeds to tell his story he takes off more and more of his costume and it's more and more of elton john the man less elton john the performer anyways this is his life story told through super over-the-top camp musical to his songs and when i say it feels honest there's no i'm sorry freddie we can't stay and party with you we have to go back to our family's lines there's elton and then elton john did truck and then elton john had sex and then he tried to commit suicide because of the pressure that he felt and it feels like you know elton john's like no no i have lived a life and i'm going to tell that story i'm not going to try and clean up any of the edges but i'm tish with edgerton anyway. <laughs> yes and he does a fantastic job. The only real critique I had comes from my mother, and she's like, he was good, but Elton John is not that handsome. Uh, fair enough. I mean, but Elton John Hollywood is a great casting. example. Yeah, but that's true. Again, that's always true. Of, uh, although I do love the fact that we have um, rock stars reach a point where they're uh, so attractive in regardless of their actual looks. I don't think Elton John is a perfect example because I think he's actually a pretty good looking guy. But like Mick Jagger's always been the great Mick example. Mick Jagger of that. is a prime example of have charisma and wealth will get laid. Yeah, I feel like it's more like these are people who are bards who have charisma as a dumb staff but constantly roll 20s. Anyway, DD yeah. Jack. But no, Rocket Man is great if you are a fan of Elton John or even if you like good music because the musical numbers are so huge and bombastic and it fits with the narrative of he's telling this in rehab and of course Elton John is putting on this grandiose film over you know what actually was happening and you really do feel sorry for him he really had a, like a lot of tragedy and they they don't pull their punches all I can say is this was just a blast to watch which, while I loved Bohemian Rhapsody, which I know I keep comparing Bohemian Rhapsody, anyways, I loved Rocketman because Rocketman was fun and felt honest. Bohemian Rhapsody was fun, but in a Queen's best hit sing-along way. All right, well, my number nine, because I'm keep us on a good pace here, is Spider-Man Far From Home. Another one that I really feel like shouldn't be in my top ten, but eh, what do you got to do? And uh, to put it simply, I didn't like Homecoming. I'm one of those people. Say about whatever you want, but I feel Homecoming was just okay. And Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. I just for Christmas, someone made me a Spider-Man bow tie for gods for you know by the gods, and I expect better from his movies. And Far From Home mostly gave me that. I I like that uh, a lot of what's going on in Spider-Man Far From Home is Peter's fault because that's usually a good thing about Spider-Man stories is that Peter makes his worst problems but usually by trying to in the originally it's usually by trying to juggle the responsibilities of a teenager and a superhero and this one it's more like about not taking on the responsibilities that he you know should and i think that that's a great idea that okay if you're not going to do the uncle ben which of course everybody knows it so you're not going to do with great power comes responsibility then instead they make a whole movie about him trying to not take on great responsibility and it nearly dooming the world and so then at the end he has to take it up and they never say it 
but it's the theme of the movie, so it comes through rather well. And Jake Gyllenhaal is my favorite actor currently working, period. So seeing him as Mysterio is goddamn perfect. So seeing Mysterio work in live action is amazing. Yeah. Oh no, his scenes, uh, particularly everyone already talked about, but yeah, his his scene of doing the Mysterio thing, which if you haven't seen it, it's you know illusions and stuff. It is the best scene in that movie. And again, it's nowhere near as good as last year's uh, Into the Spider Verse, as far as Spider Man movie goes, and it's not even as good as uh, the Spider Man video game that came out last year. But if this is the Spider Man we're gonna have. This is more the direction to do the movies, make it a little more serious. I actually like that it felt like a Euro trippy kind of thing. MJ is a lot more fleshed out of a character. And the ending is insane, and I have no idea what they're going to do next, but I'm looking forward to it. Sure, Craven would be great. I want uh, Morbius, personally, which I know they're well, of, but <laughs> You might want to bite your tongue on that one. To yeah, I've heard, who, I've heard who is... Uh, yeah, I've heard who is uh, slated to play him. But in all fairness, that actor is only getting a bad rap, really, for one role. He's done good things before. Anyway, not the point. Yeah, we're not going down that path. Let's jump to my number nine, Booksmart. Another one I didn't see, but really wanted to. This is a really good movie, and I'm going to... Everyone has described it, quote-unquote, as super bad, but good this time. Yeah, I was going to quote uh, Dan Merle, who's a actual movie critic and way more skilled than I am, who called it uh, super bad but good. And that is exactly what it is. The plot is there are two girls, and it's days before graduation, and they're all set to go off on their prospective paths. And they discovered that despite all their hard work and dedication, never really partying or doing anything like that, all their classmates also got into great schools and did all that. And now they feel the need to go to a party. And the movie is basically these two girls trying to get to a party and the shenanigans that ensue. Um, the only reason this is not higher is I'm a, probably a bit too old for this movie in that my high school experience is 10 years behind me and is radically different than the high school experience these girls are having. I think if you are within eight years maybe this really fits more for you but for me this was totally weird and alien and different than anything i knew but it is still hilarious and is a great movie carrie fisher's daughter steals the show by the way it's super hard to review and or recommend a comedy because basically it comes down to did it make you laugh yeah i can't tell you why because then you probably won't laugh <laughs> so yeah, just say it's it funny has... and move on incredible heart too which is again this is where it succeeds over super bad super bad super bad was what super bad was this has a lot of that uh humor in it but also incredible heart and a great story and i really feel bad that i did not see this in theaters but it is on hulu so please go watch it there all right my number eight is detective pikachu which you mentioned in honorable mentions here's about detective pikachu guys it's not a very great movie it's in fact pretty messy pretty sloppy but Pokemon is one of my foundational fandoms. I've been playing Pokemon. I, I, I think I had my copy of red version, or no, blue version, uh, when I was like five years old or something, like right when it came out. And I still own that cartridge today. It's literally the oldest physical object I own. I've had it for you know most of my entire life. So finally seeing the Pokemon rendered pretty goddamn well in live action 
just overrode any real criticisms I have. Like the flaws in this movie don't really matter when I can see a freaking amazing live action Bulbasaur on screen. You know what I mean? And the fact that Ryan Reynolds is hilarious and kills it as Detective Pikachu just adds on top of it. And I got I got to have one last really like great Pokemon experience before Pokemon Sword and Shield made me a lot more disillusioned with Pokemon as a franchise, sadly enough, which is a real problem I'm having right now. Maybe I'll talk about it in another episode. But point is, I enjoyed the hell out of Detective Pikachu, uh, regardless of what problems it has. And um, I hope that that opens the door to some other kind of interesting movies that don't have to be tied to any one Pokemon narrative. It's just a world I want to be in, you know? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this movie. I mean, the only reason it didn't make it into the top 10 is I saw a lot of really good films this year. And this one is just okay. But on the grounds of a video game movie, let alone a Pokemon movie, it is amazing. And I know I'm probably the only person that wants this, but I want to see a war movie set in the Pokemon universe. That just sounds uh, insane to me. That'd be sixth generation, I believe, is the uh, the one that references that. Because I, I just, you know, it looked so good. And they really kind of, you know, made you feel the lethality that exists in this world that everyone just kind of casually ignores. I mean, technically, first generation says it because Lieutenant Surge talks about fighting in the war and his electric Pokemon saving him. So I never elaborate on what that war Make was, it but it was there. I, I, want, I, want to, I don't know what it is, but I want to see this. Fights of Charizards and shit. Oh, hell yeah. Well, you know, we have that mature-rated Harley Quinn show going on, so why not? All right. My number eight, Shazam. Holy shit, Warner Brothers got their act together. Yeah. So, as I earlier, I mentioned Aquaman in my honorable mentions. It was good, it was fun, it was dumb, and that's why it didn't make it into my top ten. Shazam is all of those things, but it has incredible heart, and it's a great story with really incredibly dark moments that I like it. DC is kind of going, okay, we're going to, you know, tweak things and be a little bit on the brighter side, but we're going to keep a bit of that dark edge that Marvel has kind of shied away from to an extent. I guess. I mean, for me, I absolutely adore Shazam, and it's on my list too, higher up. So I, I loved it because it felt like I don't, I don't think it's uh, that and Thor Ragnarok were probably like the most I've ever felt like I was seeing a comic come to life on oh, screen. Oh, yeah. And I, this is, I think, why I like well, Shazam so much. in live action. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, same thing. Aquaman felt like a comic come to life, but it also felt like a bit of an acid trip in parts. But Shazam is a well, weird just meant, Yeah, I just meant that comic come to life, I feel like Into the Spider-Verse owns that concept. But I'm saying as far as live action movies are concerned, Shazam is pretty much right up there. <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. But I mean, I was kind of on the fence with Zachary Levi playing Shazam at first because I don't like him as Fendrail in the Thor movies. I thought the first actor they had did it way better. But that's a whole other can of worms to go into that only i care about anyways back on topic but he really embodies what you would imagine a teenager with the powers of a god would act like they plus, immediately do all the things teenagers would do plus if you're one of those uh thematic obsessed wankers as uh ozzy man puts it there's a great theme going on with him and dr is it why am i thinking it's shivago is it something like that but the it's villain have dr shivago yeah. is a terrible book 
Yeah, it is. So I don't know why that's what I'm thinking. It's because I'm sick and my brain is lightheaded. But anyway, point is, the hero and the villain have great, like, opposed um, origin stories basically going on where one basically finds family uh, where he thought there was none, and the other is rejecting his family for a weird, like, uh, a demented version of it that he has control of, essentially. (laughs) And then to have them... This is literally a movie where it's like, one person rejecting family versus other person who embraces family and Hey, guess which comes out on top, but it doesn't seem cliche and trite like that theme might in any other movie. It comes through naturally and it leads to like top three best third act things to happen. I think I've seen in any superhero movie, almost any movie. Oh yeah. 100%. And if you know me and if you've been following how I rank movies, you know, that the whole found family narrative always strikes a chord with me and always gets bonus points for reasons. Uh, my only real complaint about this one is I felt the design of the sins was a bit lazy. That's yeah. my only real complaint I have about this. But everything else in that his tragic story, how much this felt like Shazam, the fact they went and did the sh- well that sucks myself better, and that end gag what had me rolling on the floor, and Same. that is not something I have done in a DC movie since their whole jumbled endeavor. Yeah, I did think it was funny that at the end it's like, oh, that one's Envy? I couldn't tell. But yeah, that's yeah, my other Yeah, there's a couple, like, well. and I were going, okay, so that one, okay, that one, but that one makes no sense, and who the hell's that one? Did they copy designs there? I don't know, Black Adam's going to be insane, and I love, I love the deep cut uh, Easter egg at the very end. I also love, real quick, for, I know what Easter egg you're talking about, but I also love that Shazam takes the piss out of basically Man of Steel and also Dragon Ball Z with one of my favorite gags ever of just them like floating two blocks away from each other as the villain monologues and then the hero just can't hear him. Yeah, I, no. I love this, that so much. This movie has a perfect balance of humor and really doing the darker, more kind of not disturbing. Okay, the sin seems pretty scary, but this has almost a 90s kids movie in like, and now we're going to go really dark and make your dad cry for reasons you don't fully understand. Yeah. Anyway, so my number seven is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And we have plans to do a more in-depth kind of thing about this, or at least Star Wars in general. Oops, spoilers. But suffice to say, it's fine. I don't like it as much as Force Awakens or Last Jedi. I put it roughly between Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi, but it's still Star Wars, and I like Star Wars. So I had a good time in the theater. I have only one major narrative problem with it, which I feel like the movie would have been so much better if they hadn't done, but it's still Star Wars, and I still had a great time at the theater. So. Yeah, I was hoping to see this one before we did the list, and unfortunately it didn't work out that way. I don't know. I'm so tired of Star Wars discourse. It, it's it's not fun. I, I still am looking for this movie. I, I really which am. Is why, because... yeah, which is why I'm telling you, that's this is where uh, you know me and you, you know my opinions on Star Wars, so I feel like someone you know, you can figure out what this means to you. But me saying, yeah, it's between Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. So take that however you want. Okay, well, my number seven is Bumblebee, a Transformers movie we all slept on because of previous Transformers movies. Go on, I have literally nothing to say about this. Oh, you have to, okay, well, how big a Transformers fan are you? I'm not. 
I'm a Beast Wars fan, but I never of- gave a shit about. Well, I never gave a shit about the the car version of them because I grew up around gearheads. My fucking all my people on one side of my family own auto shops. So you'd think wouldn't that make you a gearhead? It was mundane, and I didn't give a shit about it. So I didn't like it in my cartoons, and I liked Beast Wars a lot more. If they made a Beast Wars movie, I'd probably be a lot more excited for it. But I have no nostalgic connection to the original, you know, Transformers characters. So I I didn't care about the Transformers movies originally, and I didn't care to see Bumblebee, even though I heard everything, all the good things about it. Yeah, no, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Of I loved Beast Wars. I never really watched that much of the OG Transformers or the numerous sequels. It's one of the things I like in concept, but I have never been able to get into it. And at a time, I enjoyed the Michael Bay movies for what they were. Big, flashy, dumb action set pieces. I'm curious to see how my opinion of that has changed in the intervening long-ass time, I'm not going to say. I do feel um, like last time me and you talked about it, your tastes have, for lack of a better term, refined. Oh, hell yeah. It's been a long time. Ulrich and I used to argue about that quite a bit. (laughs) Anyways, Bumblebee. Again, coming from someone that does not have a deep connection to the original movie, or not original movie, the original series, the fact that I liked it so much, I feel, is all the more reason for everybody to go out and see it. It opens with one of the things I've been dying to see forever, and that is the actual war on Cybertron. The planet, the robots, the lasers, the transforming and it, it it's a war movie like they're decapitating each other and blowing off parts of each other but since they're robots it's all okay and my only thought was holy shit can we take like some of the money we've used to make all those bad transformers movies and give me a movie set entirely on cybertron with the really interesting lore they've created about the whole nature of transformation and the sacred rights and the really kind of cool deep shit if you don't know about that look into that and it sucks you in and then it becomes the iron giant and I know the internet loves Iron Giant. It's amazing. It is. And I don't, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a shorthand. I'm not calling Bumpy a one-to-one Iron Giant, but it really is a story about a girl paid by Haley Seinfeld who is doing an incredible job, who is obviously dealing with some trauma, that meets Bumblebee, who is a wounded war veteran, also dealing with some trauma, and the two of them befriending each other and helping each other grow and get past this. And... It's really cool because all of the Transformers designs are clean in a way that I didn't realize I wanted. In that when they transform, you can clearly tell what they are. And they look like the old school ones. And it's still fairly contained. It's only really three major Transformers throughout the movie. But it has that fun, childlike glee in its level of violence that it gets away with that really taps into that eight-year-old Saturday morning cartoon thing. And I know this might be able to push you over. It is made by Travis Knight, the guy that is behind Laika, and I know how much you love Laika. I do like Laika. I'm still not that interested. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I love this movie. I want more of this movie in this universe. I don't want them to overcorrect and go back to Michael Bay because I feel like they started, they, they honed in on what a good Transformers movie is. And I really, if they want to just throw money at it, give me a War for Cybertron, all Transformers with voice actors, no people, brutal carnage, but they're robots, so it's PG-13. 
All right. Well, now that I'm in my top six, these are the movies that even if I saw the ones I missed, I'm pretty sure these six would still make my list. So I feel a lot more confident or at least more interested in mentioning them. And the first one is Battle Angel Alita, which is a movie that, when I get this right out of the way, ends badly. Its ending is a jumbled mess of six different endings shoved together. And that's the reason why it would it's the lowest of my, like, I love these, but it's still the lowest. But other than that, this movie is basically a perfect version of what I wanted it to be before it reaches that point. <laughs> Alita herself. Yeah, Alita herself is a amazing accomplishment of a character. It's one who is so good, so interesting, so badass, and so adorable that her love interest, who I don't care about, I'm interested in only because she's interested in him. Like, I get that empathetic with Alita, that I'm interested in whatever she wants. I want her to succeed just because she is so good. And... You know, some of the side characters are doing a great job too, particularly her dad, who I, I should know the actor offhand, but I don't remember. But he's doing also an excellent job. The the fight scenes are amazing and this gorgeous, crazy, like I can't believe they put that on screen kind of way. And I think that this is the kind of movie that I want Hollywood to make more of. This is the you know, a big risk them i guess you know being adapted from a manga and i know that they've tried this multiple times i i heard mixed things about ghost in the shell mostly negative but every time they tried to do something like this before it's been a you know debacle dragon ball <laughs> but uh i never even read the manga i have no idea how accurate this is to the battle angel lead manga but i'm interested in picking it up just because this movie was so good and isn't that the best endorsement that if you make an adaptation and the adaptation makes you want to go read the original material, isn't that the best thing it can, one of the best things it can do? Yeah, I saw this movie. I liked it. It's a bit messy. Well, it's a lot messy in a lot of ways. But where it's good, it's really fucking good. And that outshines where it's not so good, I'd say. I I don't know. I The one thing I will say is I feel like this needed another pass through the whole script writing thing to go, do we really need this? And what is our end goal? Because yeah. there's a lot like I said, of that to this. That ending. And there's a lot of, well, I don't even know, like they know what the end goal is when they're writing it. And that's why that ending feels so messy. I hope that it did well enough though to get a sequel because I so want to see the rest of Alita's story. There's a weird Snyder Cut bros thing circulating around it. I don't know much about, but I know it's out there and I know, I know. it's 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 all I know that I think it is. I know that while there are five more movies on this list, Alita was probably like my favorite single character from a movie I saw this year. So take that as you will. So my number six is going to make a lot of people happy and is one of the reasons I'm sticking to my rules. And that is Into the Spider-Verse. My number one movie of last year. Yeah, I didn't get to see that last year. And the first time I watched it, I'm like, this is good. But I don't know if it's it's great. And I've watched it a couple more times since then. And I noticed every time I watch it, I like it a little bit more. And to me, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to see why this movie works. I'm starting to see the things that make this movie great. And I'm going to start with the most easy, obvious take. The artwork is incredible. You know what? Usually I try to like not weigh in when you're doing movies from other years because I'll leave that to you. But I will take any excuse to give Spider-Man and Spider-Verse praise because that movie is 
goddamn spectacular and easily in my top 10 favorite movies of all years together. Like, I love Into the Spider-Verse. I'm not sure I'm going to go that high because I'm not as big a Spider-Man fan as you, but I thought it was interesting. The first time I watched it, I had like all this hype behind it, and I watched like, this is good, but it's not great. But then I kept watching it because I kept like, oh, you know, that was really good. I want to give it another try. And it really is incredible. Uh, the art style, I know everyone's talked about this to death, but it literally is comic book panels came to, brought to light. And the Stan Lee cameo is one of the better ones. I mean, it's the one that still kind of, you know, makes me a little bit misty-eyed. I love the line. And I love that it's kind of, it's a more honest take of Stanley than I think even he fully understood. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I love that we're not doing Peter Parker again because there are so many variations of Spider-Man out well, there. Well, I love that they they do do Peter Parker, but they do a version of Peter Parker that no one's seen yet. Old, schlubby, over-the-hill Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Peter Parker that if the comics actually wanted to, would make great stories about. But They do, so by the way. I Again, know they're getting better. I know they're getting there, but there is still so much... I'm just I saying, old, ever... depressed Peter Parker does exist in several comic book stories that are pretty good. <laughs> oh, I know, but well, let us for, let us not forget one more day. You don't. Why do you have to go there, man? The low blow. <laughs> because it needs to be reminded every time they start to do something good with Spider-Man, they can easily punch us in the face. Anyways, I love that. You know, I love the internet and how they got mad at Miles Morales because. Thank you for just turning on the high beams of why I don't need to talk to you ever again. Um, I love that they went and they did, like, Spider-Gwen. Okay, that's, that's a given. Spider-Man Noir? Never heard of him. Casting Nicolas Cage kind of felt like dumb stunt casting, but he does the role so well. I am just like, no, perfect. Uh, John Mulaney is Spider-Ham. Which I knew. I thought that was a fun deep cut. Another great casting. I love that this is not the Spider-Man universe you know, but it's close enough that you see the little references in the background. You go, okay, I know that. Oh, that's Green Goblin? That's a really cool take on Green Goblin. Oh, that's that. okay, that's really cool. Um, I also I, love that the Spider-Verse is filled with everything that should make the movie bad, like basically being a big commercial, being a one movie, create a expanded universe being a reboot of already existing material, being a, hey, we're going to put in an obvious theme of you can be the hero too. And in any other movie, any one of those things could be enough to completely derail it and make it insufferable. But here, all of it happens and all of it works and all of it's amazing. That's the Lord and Miller magic, though. I mean, let's be honest. True. They're the guys who also did Lego Movie, right? Uh-huh. They, they are they very good at taking this shouldn't work and spinning gold. Anyways, I, I want to keep going. Um, the big kind of plot twist was some, well, not the well, the second plot twist or the origin or whatever was kind of. I knew it because I know comics, but even then, it still worked. It was a really emo, It was the emotional impact that it should be. Even you know knowing that, and may everyone in this movie is incredible, and I'm so happy they're making another one and they're bringing in more and they're talking about bringing in Silk and Mayday Parker, and all these other really kind of cool, different Spider-Mans. They're doing, talking about Spider-Man 2099. Holy hell. And this is me, a not-big Spider-Man fan, gushing about Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And that was my second favorite post credit scene ever. So... Yeah, there's just a lot to love. And I love Kingpin's design. I don't know why, but it's hilarious. And it fits so yeah. well. 
Well, it's one of those things where when you're in animation, you can exaggerate features to convey things visually instead of verbally. And it, it's a true comic book movie in that it does comic booky things. And yeah, no, I really enjoyed this movie. And this is exactly why I have my rules in place, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk about that, this movie. Anyway, so my number five is a movie that I both have to recommend and also have a hard time recommending. And also it taught me something. So it's called Marriage Story. You've heard of it? Oh, yeah. That's on my list of I need to watch, but I got to be in the right headspace. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing. I was not in the right headspace, and I still loved it, but it it kicked me right in a hard place. So first of all, Marriage Story made me realize that uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are two of my favorite working actors, like, period. Like, so Jake Gyllenhaal is my favorite, but goddamn, Adam Driver is so good i mean i've always liked kylo ren he was so good in black Klansman, and then here yes. it's like i i can't even convey how good he conveys such a flawed but interesting character that i identified with and then was horrified that i did identify with in such an interesting way and then scarlett johansson she gets a lot of flack for basically being in everything and she's said some not great stuff about representation and whatnot but no one can deny her skills as an actress like she is she is the the i don't even know what the words are she is so good there's another movie i'm going to talk about in a bit that she's like equally uh mind-breaking for me but i think that she is uh you know approaching like meryl streep levels of talented you know which is oh a, yeah no, she's a complicated person because she says dumb things, but she is an incredible actress. Now, as for what Marriage Story is about, it's a misleading title. This is not a story about marriage. This is a story about divorce. Literally, the first scene is uh, about the, the, this couple, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, talk starting their separation. So that's not a you know spoiler. It's them reading these letters about each other in their heads. We, they don't actually read them to each other, but that are that they wrote as part of like their, hey, we're about to be separated. So let's start off by saying good things about each other. But then as the movie goes, you just see that even two really well-intentioned, if not equally disturbed and messed up people can become raving lunatics in a divorce situation there is a scene in the middle way through this movie or nearest the end where after getting lawyers involved which they started off saying they weren't going to do they try to reconcile a bit to be like can we just sell this me and you and they're in this room it's like this little apartment and they start talking and it's, it's pretty normal it's like okay all right if we're gonna sell this ourselves then you know why'd you move to la and by the end of it I want to spoil this because just to give you a frame by the end of this like five minute scene one of them is screaming at the other how they wake up every morning wishing they were dead and it was the most soul crushing terrifying fascinating scene of a couple fighting in a movie i think i've ever seen and it was so amazing and engaging and terrifying like this is the kind of thing that's like Man, if there's if there's one experience in my life that I never, never, never want, it's the one that this movie is showing me, even though it could be so easy to happen to anyone. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, one of the best positive endorsements of this movie that I've heard that made me laugh 
was this movie reminds us all that lawyers are evil. And it reminded me of my favorite Craig Ferguson quote. The worst type of lawyer are uh, divorce lawyers. Why? Because they feed on human suffering. Yeah, no, they totally showcase that. There is one lawyer in this who turns, who's like a pretty good guy, but because he is being put up against a lawyer who is not, it, uh, anyway, I don't want to spoil the movie, but goddamn, it is so good. And one of the great things about it is that neither one of them is at fault. Yes, one of them did something that you could argue is really at fault but it's very easy to point to the other and say but you're the one who's making this whole situation way more miserable so like no one comes off here as good or bad even though one of them had an extramarital affair which is shitty but it there are certain anyway point is that this movie doesn't deal in uh in black and whites like that except for well even then with the lawyers it basically comes off as okay, yeah, lawyers are evil, but all it takes is one of them to hire a lawyer, and if the other one doesn't, they are fucked. So... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to watch this movie, but I gotta be in the right headspace for it, because I've seen the trailers. I've seen the reviews. I know what I'm getting into. It's like, alright, do not go into this lightly. Yeah, and then uh, at the end, it had me it had me choked up. Like, I didn't tear, but I, I, I did choke up, and this is I mean, I could, I want to really go into like what themes are going on here, but I feel like even doing that like kind of spoils the, the fun. So fun's not the right word. See this movie. I feel like there's only one other movie on my list. I more in more endorse, even though this is number two or anything. It's just like, this is a movie that is easy to overlook. It's on Netflix like right now. Uh, it's not, it's like a regular two hour length. Watch this movie. Just be prepared that it's about the misery of divorce. <laughs> so we on your number five or my number five? Your number five. I going down my letter. My numbers first. Okay. Uh, my number five. I'm probably going to catch a bit of heat for this, but I don't care. My number five is Captain Marvel because one, I love that Captain surprises Marvel. Me. I love. I mean, you're the Captain the only Marvel. person I've heard who put Captain Marvel above Shazam. And again, I like Captain Marvel. But I'm just saying it surprises me. So go ahead. Shazam is probably a better movie, but that's not how I necessarily construct my list. I also construct how, you know, how much I enjoy it, how often I will go back and rewatch it, things like that. And I, I, I love Captain Marvel as a character. I think the power set, the comic design, everything about Carol Danvers is awesome. And I had so much fun with this movie. Yes, I know it's flawed, but there's something about a lady flying through space, shooting laser beams out of her hands, and kicking ass that just works for me on all the right levels. I mean, I enjoyed it. I think that um, it's funny because I've got several friends who I love to death, but I feel like they get bogged down by unimportant shit when it comes to this. Like, I've got at least one friend who really doesn't like, uh, is it Allison Brie or Brie Larson? I always mix up their names. Brie Larson's in Captain Marvel. Allison Brie is in Community. Okay, Brie Larson. I, I've got a friend who really doesn't like Brie Larson. And you know what? I, I, well, I don't agree with necessarily his reasons why, because I feel like there's complexities there. I don't begrudge him that. You can dislike whoever you feel like. But it's just like every time I bring up uh, Captain Marvel as a character in a scene or a movie, they respond with, too bad Brie Larson's a shit human being or something like that. And it's like, okay, I feel that you feel that way. You don't have to bring it to every conversation about her and <laughs> this character. It's kind of concerning that that's their go-to stance. I mean, I don't like Jonah Hill, but I don't refer to him as a shit human being. 
Yeah, I'm I'm paraphrasing. My my point is that it's just it's one of those things. That maybe that's why I uh, I don't talk about it as often because it's well, it's like it's like the Star Wars conversation. It's like the conversation is so not fun, <laughs> but the movie's good. No, the movie is fun, and that's kind of why I, it ranks as high as I had fun watching it. I liked they introduced the scroll. I'm still fingers crossed for Secret Invasion. I like what it set up. I like. Nick Fury, kind of, you know, before grizzled, paranoid Nick Fury. And I don't know. This was just a fun movie. And a lot of the times, that's what's going to rank high in my list is, did I have fun with this movie? And yeah, Captain Marvel never made me sad like Shazam did. And that may be not fair, but I don't know. All right. My number four, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I, I don't even know where to start with this movie. <laughs> we had this kind of I, I first of all i'm an old school not old that's the wrong term i'm gonna i'm a i've been a fan of jane Silent strike back for basically the moment i saw it i i love those characters i've been a big fan of these universe in general kevin smith has made plenty of movies that i don't like fucking hate tusk for instance but oddly enough he makes fun of that itself in this movie what's amazing with this movie to me is yes it's funny and that's the main reason I showed up, and that's all it had to do was be funny. But it's also oddly insightful. Like, Kevin Smith has this habit of casting his daughter and everything now, which they also make fun of in this movie. But her role, and her role in reference to, or in relation to Jason Mew's character, says to me, I, as a creator, have some things to say about fatherhood. And if you, an audience member, are a father, or thinking about becoming a father, you want to sit down and listen. <laughs> and... It's powerful stuff. So adding that on top of what was just a funny, pretty reference-filled, but I feel like it's such a... It doesn't feel like commercially cheap reference-filled, like you know some, I don't know, like Teen Titans Go or something like that does to me. It just feels like, yeah, these are people who are honestly into this kind of stuff, so of course they're going to talk about it. Anyway, I, I love the hell out of it. I had uh, two of my favorite jokes in a long time of any movie came from this movie, one being basically Brody ranting about how amazing the MCU is when someone tries to say it's a, uh, you know, com commercial crap. And the other being Ben Affleck himself making a, uh, a jab at the Martha thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jason Mewes has never been necessarily a great actor, but he is doing, he is working his ass off in this movie to, to really bring something, some heart. And I think he deserves credit for it. And I, everyone who also showed up for the movie does great. The only only problem I have with it is that at the end, literally in the second to last scene, Kevin Smith kind of the movie kind of disappears in his own pretension, and I get it. I totally get why it was just a it was a little bit much for me. But the rest of the movie is so good. I don't care. It's a great movie. My number four is a movie I don't think enough people saw, and that more people need to see, and that is I Am Your Mother. Have you seen uh, or heard of this one? It sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know it. I guarantee you scrolled by it on Netflix, and it is one of the best sci-fi movies I saw this year. Mm, the uh, oh, that's the the robot that raises the girl in the the weird like facility. I remember I saw the trailer for it. Yeah. No, that is basically the pitch. A girl is growing up in a bunker with a robot who she refers to as her mother, and she is being 
you know, every once in a while, every few years, she has to take a test to see if she advances to the next level. And on the eve of her last big test, the one that will determine if she's ready for her true goal, someone from the outside gets in. And it's the classic, outside is bad. There's something wrong with the outside. And the girl on the outside goes, you can't trust your mother. You can't trust these robots. And the girl is suddenly forced to question everything. And that's just the base surface reading of this. It is a great sci-fi in the design because that robot is 90% practical effects. Oh, that's cool. Looks pretty cool. Looks like something out of Mass Effect. Yeah, and it really works, and it kind of proves, at least in the example, like practical effects are necessary, is because this girl has a genuine relation to this, this robot. And because it's physically there and she can physically interact with it, it feels like a character. It also really explores the darker, more manipulative side of parenting because, again, this is her mother. The whole time she's very torn of who she should believe. Her mother or this stranger she's met on the outside is going, no, this thing is manipulating you. You can't trust this thing. And her mother going, I'm your mother. I've been here since you were born. Of course you can trust. And I love it so much. I was so sucked into it. And I'm like, why haven't more people seen this? Why aren't more people talking about this? This is an original sci-fi that is a very small cast. There's maybe three people in the entire movie. This is everything everyone's crying out to be made more of, and no one is talking about it. Fair enough. I wasn't even really aware of it. I Like you said, I'd passed over it. I'd watched the trailer, but I didn't even add it to my list of movies to watch. I don't know why. I think... Uh... It's funny because your description, my brain suddenly goes obviously to HAL 9000, but not not just because the obvious, it's a, a bot, but because this idea of like an AI has no concept of morality, right? So an AI that's been raising you forever would also have no real concept of what that means or attachment or no matter how attached you get to it, it can only follow its programming. And if it's not a true AI, which is another conversation entirely, then it's like that's what creates this interesting kind of split, at least in the audience, right? Yeah, and it plays with that idea because in the whole time the background is like, well, it's a robot. It can't love her, but you see all these things and all it has done is like, well, maybe it does love her. But then you're forced to question everything. And the ending is so good because then all these pieces fall into place and you're like, oh, oh, wow, holy shit. Yeah, no, if you are... If you love sci-fi, if you are dying for something that's not superhero, remake, big budget, whatever your film gripe is, you need to watch I'm Your Mother. Okay, my number three is Shazam, and we already talked about it, so I don't know what else to say about it other than I loved it, so I guess we move on. Okay, so uh, my three shifted about a whole bunch, and I had a couple of factors for deciding them. My big one and deciding all these movies is how likely am I to go back and rewatch these movies in the coming years? And I found this a good system because there are a lot of great movies that we all love that we've never gone back and watched. And the Oscars are a prime example of this. There are so many, you know, best picture winners we haven't talked about since they came out. So. Well, also there's just so many movies. I mean, by that, by what you just said, there's probably only one movie on this list that I will, go back and watch again, which is my number one. So oh, There's a handful in here, but I mean, Into the Spider-Verse, I'm going to watch that. Every, I'm going to keep watching that. It's an enjoyable, good movie. Bumblebee, good movie. So that was a factor. I also went, 
what's the kind of conversations I can have around this movie? Because I love talking about movies and the impact on me. How did this movie affect me? And that was ultimately how I decided the final three and how I came up with this final ranking. So all of that, my number three is Endgame. And like I said, I don't feel like Endgame belongs on this list because it's a completely different kind of conversation. But if I allowed it to be on my list, it would sit number two. So I could agree with it. Uh, Endgame shifted around a lot in this final three slot. And again, for multiple reasons. And part of why it ended up at number three is ultimately, as you've said, it's not a movie in the grander sense of what we're talking about here. It is a culmination. That said, it still is its own movie. It is still a film. It does have story arcs, character arcs, whatnot. Um, my only real two problems with it are that I'm never going to watch this separate from Infinity War. That's just not going to happen, so that loses its points. And two, it kind of drags a little bit in the second act. Now, all that said, on to the positive. That big splash panel ending, the whole big third act finale had me just fist bumping and jumping and yelling in my seats as a pure dopamine hit to my inner fanboy. We finally, yeah, we finally got an Avengers Assemble. We got Avengers Assemble. We got Thor, uh, Captain America wielding the... I um, actively, Avengers. I did actively fist pump and say, yeah, when that happened. Regard, But then again, a lot of the theater did, so it was, you know, I wasn't, distru- I wasn't disruptive. <laughs> we got the awesome female Avengers splash page to show how far they have come from when they first started to the where we are now. We started with you know, Pepper Potts and Black Widow as our two female characters, and now we have a whole splash panel we can do. I didn't think it was pretty um, cool. Especially Valkyrie. I adore Valkyrie. Yes. Um, even the more somber stuff, Thor's story arc. Fat Thor's amazing. so good. Uh, the conversation... I'm so happy they didn't make him thin. Like, they, apparently that was the thing they were thinking about doing, is like, oh, he'll be magically thin. And Chris Hemsworth was like, don't do that. <laughs> no. I mean, he was a great... That was a great thing to do with the character. His conversation with his mother is heartbreaking in so many ways. And it is such incredible acting from both those actors. Um, I actually I, fully teared when it came to the ending. I, yes. I'm not afraid to admit that. It, it got me. Let's, let's think, talk about the ending. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is a goddamn treasure. And his take on uh, Tony Stark has been... It is literally like top three takes on a superhero character ever. And his way of going out, literally saving the entire universe is so powerful, so meaningful. And the fact that he does it with a affirmation of who he is surrounded by the people who he both loves, who love him and whose lives he possibly affected. God, I just, so, and, uh, so beautiful. Line, it's okay. You can rest now. Oh man. That that was the first real hammer blow, to you know. I know you, I know you don't like. I know you don't like Iron Man three, but still, the fact that they even brought back the kid from that to be at the funeral is just like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I haven't cried in a movie ever. It just isn't the thing I do. I've came close, and in rewatching this one it really kind of got there because that one really lands like a hammer blow. And then you got the scene with Happy and his daughter going, you know, what do you want? Cheeseburgers. Your dad liked cheeseburgers too. I'm going to buy you all the cheeseburgers. It was just, oh, no. Dad senses tingling inner child 
erupting callback to Robert Downey Jr. So great. Which I want to I I raise issue with that. A lot of people say that is a cheap callback to Robert Downey Jr. eating a cheeseburger in the very first Iron Man. Fun fact, Robert Downey Jr. got sober when eating Burger King and having a terror. It was terrible. That is why he put it in the first Iron Man you know, movie. That is why that is a callback to Robert Downey Jr.'s sobriety, not a cheap plug for Burger King. Also, having Jon Favreau you know, there to deliver the line. Like, I feel like we we give all the you know props for the whole MCU to a lot of the, the obvious people like Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Feige and stuff like that. And John Favreau has been getting more and more like positive spin because of things like, uh, uh, you know, like the Mandalorian and, and things that he has done. But it's like, yeah, John Favreau basically started this with, with Iron Man and he's been there like the whole time kind of in the background. And like most things he touches tend to be gold. So just saying. Yeah, no, a- look at the stories that were coming out about Iron Man before it was released. Now, they basically shot with no script. They just kind of, you know, okay, let, let, let's try this and see how it goes. Um, the Cap finally getting his ending. You know, Cap, that was the perfect ending because we, we all had theories who was going to die who wasn't. And I thought Cap was going to die. Oh. Such a better send-off for Cap. This is the one he deserves. Also, any fan who gets fucking hung up on like the time travel thing not working fuck off i mean yes it time travel always is problematic what matters is does this resonate emotionally is the time travel system fine enough to work in the moment to serve its function and it does that is i don't yeah i don't need anyone to answer the question of how did cap like come back to that point without like altering re- you know reality things. I don't need to know that. All I need to know is that scene was gorgeous and time travel, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. If you have problems with that, you need to watch more Doctor Who and get acclimated to this shit. <laughs> no, there is so much to love. And one of my favorite lines I read about this was someone showed this movie to their grandfather. And when the Wakandans come through and you know Falcon comes through and, you know, this person was black and it's their grandfather was obviously black. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Black people coming to save Whitey's ass. That I is, it. I love that because that is, I don't know, is intentional. But yes, the first people through to save the day are not the, not the Vikings, not the space Vikings. It's Wakanda. And they've got that great war chant and everything about this movie. It is so much fun. I only had more fun in one movie this year. And that is my number two. And I will talk about that then. Mine, yeah, because I could talk about Endgame forever. But my number two... I have no idea how successful it was, so I don't know if I should be, t- be upset if people didn't see it or not, but it's Jojo Rabbit, made by Taika Waititi. Did you, did you actually get around to seeing it, Ulrich? No, this is one of my biggest regrets. Is I am now a huge fan of Taika Waititi, despite my thoughts on Thor Ragnarok. And this is a movie I have been interested in since I first heard Taika Waititi is making a movie where he plays Hitler. Yep. I mean, this is referred to as the Calvin and Hobbes movie, but Hitler. And while that is definitely true... It is also a great many other things. This movie astounded me. Like, I'm sitting in the theater, like, jaw, like, no exaggeration. My mouth was open in awe at points. This this movie is bold, first of all. I heard some people being afraid, like, oh, I'm afraid this movie's going to glorify Nazis. Uh, no. Actually, it basically infantilizes them. The whole point of the movie is, yeah, Nazis were immature children. And who basically got out of hand because no one was there to keep them from getting lost in their own fucking insane fantasies that only a child would believe. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson, I mentioned earlier, she's in this movie as Jojo, the character Jojo's mother. And 
my God, I can't even begin to explain how amazing of a job she's doing of this. This is very obviously a woman in a really tough, difficult situation who is doing everything she can to protect uh, her son and other things while keeping uh, you know everyone happy, while also keeping everyone safe. It, there is a sequence about her shoes that hit me harder than anything in memory like i i literally right now can't think of another movie i've seen uh ever that hit me as hard as what they end up doing with um with her shoes i know it's a weird statement but you gotta trust me on this <laughs> taika watiti is hilarious as hitler jojo rabbit is himself the, the, the boy is doing an excellent job of being a well this is very and obviously a nazi obsessed youth but let's throw a jew girl at him to uh to see how he evolves and and it I, I don't even know, man. This movie leaves me speechless sometimes. It's like, I, I don't even know how to get into it. This It's so good. <laughs> Have you heard how Taika Waititi ended up playing Hitler? I mean, I saw it, but I haven't heard him describe it. Why would he say? He said that he couldn't find anyone that wanted to play Hitler. He's like, well, damn it, I guess I'm going to have to play Hitler myself. And even then, it's kind of taking the piss out of, hey, look, uh, you know, New Zealanders playing the ideal, you know, leader of the white race. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, man, JoJo has this line at the end of the movie. It's just three words. And if uh, if I was doing a spoiler thing, I'd tell you just now, it's my my favorite three words of the year. I don't know what that – I remember hearing someone once um, say, like, a favorite – oh, yeah, that's remember Todd in the Shadows talked about not just favorite songs, but, like, a favorite three seconds. He does this thing. If I had a favorite three seconds in film, it's in JoJo Rabbit when basically he comes to a full realization of what Hitler is. And that's all I'll say about it. But oh, and Sam Rockwell's in this movie, and he kills it as a as a Nazi soldier who very obviously has got something else going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm dying to see this movie. I regret not being able to see it in theaters. Hopefully, I'll be able to see it here soon. Auric, when you see it and you see the shoes thing, please text me that so I know oh. if it got you, like it got me. Right. I, I feel like I feel bad for already putting you on high alert for it, but. Just saying. Okay. So my number two and my number one shifted place so many times this year. And I went back and forth and back and forth and I agonized over it. And I may I may end up regretting this. It's happened in the past. But my number two is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Which is easy enough to roll in because that's my number one, for the record. My number one is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So we'll just talk about it I now. I figured as much. Um, yeah, fucking Godzilla. And any and all you people out there who didn't see it, all ten of you listening, <laughs> shame on you. This movie was amazing. Yeah. No, I this and this and Endgame were tied neck and neck for most fun I had at the theater. This one out solely because I went and took my mom with me with this, and she did not like this movie. She thought it was dumb. She thought it was excessive. She thought it was stupid. But while she was laughing her ass off, I was just into it. And somehow the two came together to, you know, I was laughing at my mom's reactions. Like, how are you not enjoying this? Look, it's Fire Godzilla. Do you know who that is? And she's just like, I don't know who any of this is. What is going on? It is fun. It is loud. It is bombastic. And best of all, it is beautiful. Oh, yeah. This is a oh, beautiful, man. beautiful, beautiful movie. Any, any frame 
with Mothra in it can be its own, like, fucking framed painting. Mothra is so gorgeously rendered. And the sequences with King Ghidorah, like, in smoke, look like some crazy acid trip shit that I, I adore. The moment in this movie when Godzilla comes out of the goddamn water and the actual Godzilla march is playing had me actually, like shaking in my my chair in in happiness in pure yep. unaltered joy hair standing up on my arms and my neck just big shit eating grin i remember my mom looked over at me and she just laughed and said well i'm glad you're enjoying it and i just remember thinking it's the godzilla song out of the ocean to whoop some ass come on oh it's so good and yes i know that like some people get iffy on i guess the human characters for some reason i don't know i've listened to the negative reviews and my brain can't comprehend them because it's like this movie is so of pure of an experience that i i i feel like it defies critique it is just gorgeous to look at and get enthralled in and absorbed in and i I don't even know man i just this is the movie that i want like i want a home theater just so I can watch this again. No, yeah. this is one I'm really looking forward to showing my daughter when she's old enough. Because it made me realize that, one, Godzilla fans, we are not as prevalent as I thought we were. Because a lot of people didn't get this movie. But at the same time, this has all the bombast and stupidity of a Michael Bay movie. And it's still people like, I, I don't get it. Well, what's going on? What is there to get? Also, anyone who, and I feel like I shouldn't have to say this because we said this before. But apparently the movie still isn't getting the credit it deserves, so I'm going to say it. Anyone who's like, oh, the movie has bad characters. The movie has five main characters that are all monsters, which people which people are overlooking, and never say a word, and yet have incredibly well-defined and easily discernible personalities. Three of them are the different heads of Ghidorah, which all have different personalities. Try to tell me this movie doesn't have character. Fuck you. Yeah, no, this movie is just incredible. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was I was kind of worried, like, oh, am I going to get shit for putting this so high in my list? It was Movie Bob's number one. And it's like, okay, Movie Bob's on my go-to critics. He put it number one. I feel vindicated. And his review sums up how I feel perfectly. And it's probably one of his best reviews of the year. If you haven't seen yeah. it, go check that out. No, man, this, this is one of those ones that it's like, I don't care if people... This, to me, fits into the Watchmen mold of, like, I've had so many times where I've had to be, like, I've met people who don't like it or don't get it, and, I, and I'm just like, you gotta... I'm not gonna listen to your negativity. <laughs> and that's not, that's not like a, you shouldn't critique things. Using your analytical mind is always great. But I've talked many times about how I don't believe in turn your brain off. I think that's a stupid saying. I think a movie that is good enough should do it for you like it shouldn't be something you actively make the decision to do and godzilla king of the monster or king of monsters so actively turned off any part of my brain that cared about anyone else's opinion about it (laughs) you know what i mean like just watching godzilla rip off one of Ghidorah's heads it's Oh, and and Mothra with the cool new design that has like a bee stinger so it can fuck up Rodan. Oh, and yeah, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, no, this is pure joy. And I'm kind of bummed that we may not get more of these, that it may mess up Godzilla versus King Kong. But I will always have this, which is 
hands down the best Godzilla movie I've seen in, say, 20 years. Yeah, and you know what? I, I will say, if I sound aggressive and you don't like this movie, I'm sorry. I'm not, not actually fuck you. I take that back. But uh, don't, don't come at me with your negativity. This movie is pure to me. And if you don't like it, I am sorry for you. <laughs> I don't know what else yeah. to say. Yeah, no, that's kind of why I came out. My mom, my mom didn't like it. Like, oh, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy that because that was a blast and I loved every second of it. And I don't know, it makes me genuinely sad for people like, I didn't like it or that was dumb. It's like, oh man, you're missing out on the acid trip. And it, it, it saddens me. Yeah, so that's, that's my number one and your number two. So all that's left is your number one. So, you know, people at home are going, wow, you know, Ulrich, you really liked Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I mean, and you, you have Endgame on here. What could possibly be your number one? What was the movie you liked so much? And I'm, I'm curious if this is going to surprise anybody, but my number one is Us. Uh, you know what? I Okay, here's the thing, guys. I know the story of Us. I didn't actually get to see it. I happen to already know the whole thing. But I don't like horror movies in general, so... But... I understand that with Get Out and Us, uh, Peel is like a goddamn master. Uh, I can respect that. I don't actually get it beyond a visceral kind of like intellectual level. I, I get what's interesting about them. I'm not surprised because you're more into this kind of stuff than I am. Because And uh, considering the movie and the filmmaker, like, sure, but... Anyway, I'm rambling. My point is, uh, go, go ahead. So, yeah, if you're looking for a full spoiler, you know, filled deep dive, uh, we did an episode with Chris on Geeks Who Haunt. And I was like, throw brought me in specifically because she was like, that was good, but I honestly have no idea what's going on here. And that is why I love this movie. Because this is a movie that I, I think you should watch. Because even if you know the story... There is so much subtext and deeper meaning and layered stuff baked into this that this movie is a meal that you can pick apart and discuss and rewatch at nauseum and still be missing things. This is when I walked away with going, okay, he is operating at a I have a rough idea what's going on here, but this is gonna take like four more viewings before I even start to scratch, you know, the surface of what he's doing. I'm still trying to figure out the rabbits. God damn, the rabbits, man. For the record, I liked Get Out, but I was I didn't leave an impact with me. I was like, that was really good. I was, it was going for, but that was not a movie that stuck with me. Us, I'm amazed that none of my big three critics put it in their top ten. I can't believe every, like everyone's forgotten about this movie, but it is so good. It works as a horror movie, but it works even more as what horror so often is, a commentary. I mean, yeah. Again, I, I I haven't seen it. I only know I I read it essentially. So I, I would, know. I would advise that you watch this because, again, the story is just one part of it. The subtext is there, as well as the performances, because every single actor is having to pull double duty in both playing themselves and the tethered or evil quote unquote versions of themselves. And I'm going to try and pronounce her name. I apologize if I screwed up. Lupita Nyong'o deserves an Oscar for her performance. Do I think she's going to get it? No, because the Academy Awards is a whole mess of issues. And this movie came out, you know, major critics have already forgotten about it, so that's something. But when it is 
terrifying and creepy and unsettling, it is at its peak. And when it is deep and insightful and frightening, it is like a film school lecture. And I can't believe that this is coming from Jordan Peele, who is kind of the guy that, for better or worse, we all kind of wrote off post uh, Key and Peele. Like, he's funny, but I don't know how much of a career he has. And he's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to make two incredible movies. Oh, now you're paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I had more to add to this as being your number one, but I, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> Take all Rich no, word for I, it. I really love this movie. Even if you're a horror fan, I think everyone needs to see this. And it's okay because a lot of people came away going, I don't know if I'm smart enough for this movie. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp. But listen to the commentary or just the behind the scenes stuff where he breaks it down. You're like, holy shit, man. You're playing like 3D chess while the rest of us are playing Connect 4. I think I've heard that line before, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I love this movie. And while it may not be as fun and bombastic as Endgame or King of the Monsters, this is a movie that I can dissect and talk about probably forever with, you know, horror movie fans. And I've, I, I'm okay saying that Jordan Peele is probably one of the new masters of horror and kind of like Kevin Smith. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to see everything he does from here on out just to see what it does, what he does. Fair enough. All right, so that is our top 10. If you've got a list, let us know in the comments. If you've got a number one, let us know. If you disagree with us, let us know. We wanna hear you. So let's just quickly get into our suggestions of the week, because as always, this is run long. Okay, well then, because these episodes tend to go long, I'm not gonna go into this in detail, but I saw The Witcher Show, and I really liked it, and I tried to play the games like a year ago, and I didn't like 1 and 2. I never got around to 3, which supposedly is the big one. But I didn't like Geralt. I don't like playing as Geralt. But watching him was a lot better. I think Henry Cavill was very interesting. I liked the world a lot more now that I've seen it in show form. And it makes me want to go give the shows and the book another try. So The books on, are really good. Yeah. So it's on Netflix. I really enjoyed it. I feel like the whole first season is a preamble to the actual story, which is a little frustrating. But it was still enjoyable as hell. There's my suggestion. Yeah, I will say two things for people going into that. One, the first season of The Witcher is the first season of the book in very much that it is a preamble, and they, they made some weird choices. Secondly, I will give you advice that I wish someone had given me when I first started. There are three separate uh, timelines going on. The characters are each in their own different timeline. They all sync up. You're welcome. Uh, my suggestion of the week, which, again, should surprise no one, is Dread. I don't know. I didn't keep... A top 10 list when this movie came out, but I'm pretty sure it would have been my number one or right in there in that I'm sure you've heard about Dread. It's a cult classic. This is not the 1990s Judge Dread with Sylvester Stallone. This is the 20 <laughs> Dread with Carl Urban that is cheap and slick and was terribly marketed and is just a ton of fun and more people need to see it and talk about it, and I don't know what's happening with that long-rumored series. Also, if you haven't seen it, but you've seen The Raid, and you like it, go see Dread. They're basically the same movie, but they're both really good and both worth watching separately. I still need to see The Raid. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> There's a lot of movies, and every time I think about like, or oh, I could watch Dread again. I like Dread. Yeah, I love Dread, too, and it sounds to me that there's not a sequel to it. So, oddly enough, watching The Mandalorian, that's literally what I was thinking, was, man, I wish they made a Dread sequel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're living in the age of franchises making returns, and 
we'll talk about Dread another time. But I mean, there's a long rumored uh, series in the works and whatnot. So we'll see. Anyways, we've been here for God knows how long. So let's move on to the outro. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things because in this ever-growing market of podcasts, that is literally how we live or die is if you share us with friends. Yeah, and we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and that no longer is able I am no longer able to say that list in a way that is smooth. So whichever one you found us on, thanks. If there's one you want us to look into, tell us and we will. So we could have, you know we could cater to you. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>